When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Athletic Baseball Show. The All-Star break is behind us. The trade deadline just over one week away. This is the mailbag edition of the Athletic Baseball Show. Tim McMaster here, as always, with Ken Rosenthal. We are here to answer your questions. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm well rested for the week ahead. I hope you are too. I know it's one of your busiest weeks of the year. And uh, I mentioned the trade deadline. It's next Tuesday. Teams have about a week to decide if they're buyers, if they're sellers, if they're both. One team that seems to be sending a very loud message to the front office to sell is the Boston Red Sox. They're swept out of the break by the Blue Jays. Not just your average sweep, Ken. They lost 28-5 to on Saturday night at Fenway in what was a disaster. This team's going the wrong way. It is going the wrong way, Tim, but I'm going to try to offer a little perspective. And I know perhaps now is not the right time for perspective the way the Red Sox are going, but you have to take a step back and just consider the whole picture. One, they are three games out of the wild card. Three games, that's it. Two, they've got a ton of injuries right now. Devers, Story, Sale, and who knows when he'll be back, if ever, this season. Hill, Waka, JD missed the Jays series. He was out. So it's as bad as it looks. Yes, it's bad. We had Jeter Downs at third base. We had Yolmer Sanchez at second base the last two days. That's not good. Not where you want to be. And the recent trends are troubling. There's no question. They've lost 9 of 10, 13 of 16. They're 0-11-1. 0-11-1 in 12 series against the AL East. And on top of all that, they have a slew of potential free agents. J.D. Martinez, Nathan Evaldi, Xander Bogarts, he has the opt-out. He also has a full no-trade clause. Christian Vasquez, Michael Waka, Rich Hill, Matt Strom, Kike Hernandez. Some of those guys, as I mentioned earlier, are hurt. So what do you do? I don't know that you make a decision right now. I would wait until they play against the Guardians and Brewers, the two teams that they're going to face leading to the deadline, both playoff contenders, and see where you are July 31st, August 1st, and then make a call. Right now, the call looks pretty obvious. And at the same time, what are you doing if you start trading everybody? Where are you going to be next year? Now, if you're trading for some players who are close to the majors and can help fairly quickly, okay. But I don't want to see J.D. Martinez going for A-ball guys. I don't know that that makes much sense. Now, I know he's a rental. There's not much value in a rental, especially one who is largely a DH. I get it. Nathan Evaldi has not been good lately. He started the 28-5 game. Yes, it's all going to be limited. But at the same time, you have to weigh the value 
of sort of tearing this thing apart versus the chance, however outside it might be, of getting back in this thing. And yes, it's going to be difficult. And yes, if they grab a wild card, it likely will be one of the bottom two, I would think at this point, unless they get really hot. And if you're playing one of the bottom two wild cards, well, you're on the road to start that best of three in the new expanded format. But the Red Sox are not in a market. They're not the kind of team that should simply be white flagging it, trading everybody. So, Tim, I'm not sure where it's going. I definitely can foresee them as sellers to some limited extent, at the very least right now. But right now is not the deadline. And a lot can change in a week. I'm not saying this with false optimism. I don't like the way the Red Sox are playing. Manager Alex Cora does not like the way the Red Sox are playing. No one in New England likes the way the Red Sox are playing. I just need more information. Heim Bloom, president of baseball operations, he needs more information. There's still time. And again, I'm not suggesting it's all going to turn around, but I want to know exactly where I stand July 30th, July 31st or so before I pull that plug, if I do it all. Heim built up some good feelings in Boston with the uh, the overachieving that the team did a year ago. Now he's going to be put to the test again. After you know, he traded Mookie when he first got there, and everybody was on him. And then they they had a great season, and now this um, he will be uh, it'll be a challenging trade deadline for him for sure. Uh, the one good thing that Red Sox fans have had going for them this weekend to maybe forget about the Blue Jays is that David Ortiz went into Cooperstown as a Hall of Famer. Um, uh, a cool weekend there. There was seven Hall of Famers overall going in on Sunday, but he was the show because of the you know first ballot and everything that went into that. On Saturday, though, Ken, Tim Kirkjian went into the Hall of Fame. He did, and he is someone that I've looked up to since the start of my baseball writing career. I came to Baltimore. I was hired in Baltimore in 1987 when I was 24 years old to cover the Orioles for the Baltimore Evening Sun. And the reason I was hired was because the Baltimore Morning Sun had this amazing beat writer who was crushing the Evening Sun. Now, it was weird, owned by the same company, and yet they were in competition with each other. So they hired me to essentially compete with Tim, and as I've written, it was Harlem Globetrotters versus Washington Generals for pretty much three years. It was the worst three years but I learned a lot. And the best thing about it was, even though Tim was crushing me on a daily basis and sometimes multiple times on a daily basis, you can never get mad at him. He's that person you see on TV. He is that avuncular guy, the friendly guy, the passionate guy, the person who loves baseball more than anything else. And he taught me so much. And it was such a thrill to finally see him get in because I know it took a little bit longer, in my estimation, than it should have. In my belief, mostly because Tim was viewed by some younger writers as mostly a TV guy. And he is, at this point in his career, he does still write. But when he was a beat writer, when he worked at Sports Illustrated, all the things he's written for ESPN, the books he has written, he's one of our best. He is really the best of us in many ways. And I equate him with Jason Stark, with the passion, those guys, it's something special. And people ask me all the time, well, can I be like Jason Stark? Can I be like Tim Kirkchen? Sometimes broadcast aspirants will ask me, can I be like Joe Buck? The answer to all those questions is no. There's only one. There's only one of each of those guys. And to see Tim honored and to watch his speech, 
He was emotional. He was eloquent, as always. It just really, it made me so happy. And again, this is a guy that I, I'm not really close with because he killed me <laughs> for all those years in Baltimore. And we were friendly after that. And certainly we've been friendly since he's been in ESPN. I've been in Fox. But it's not the same. We still are in some competition. So just to see him honored, that was a really great thing. And Big Poppy, by the way, I should mention him. He is my Fox colleague. We were together last week. And I'll share an interesting sidelight. So we're staying at the same hotel in Los Angeles for the All-Star Game. And I went downstairs to eat something kind of in the lounge area they had. My son was with me. He was in our room working. So I'm sitting right near the bar. And there's Big Poppy with an official from the Hall of Fame. And they're going through everything. All of the plans and his speech, everything he has to do. And listen, there's no personality like David Ortiz. We all know that. And it's the real deal. It's genuine. That's who he is on and off camera. But that conversation with the Hall of Fame official was very serious. And he was locked in. And he was preparing and they were discussing his speech. The person from the Hall of Fame, his name is John Shestakovsky. I hope I pronounced that right, John. He used to work for the Red Sox. And it's obvious Poppy had a lot of respect for him and was listening to him as they suggested different things, or he suggested different things in the speech. And it was just really cool to see. And watching Ortiz, you could see his happiness, his pride. It's just a really huge honor and a cool moment for him. Obviously, the coolest of moments. So congratulations to Big Poppy and all of the other entrants to the Hall of Fame. Jim Cott, I've worked with many, many times. I love that man. He is as professional as a person can be. He is as classy as a person can be. He is something, he is someone we can all emulate just in the way he carries himself. And he's a guy that, to me, could be a Hall of Fame broadcaster as well as a Hall of Fame player. He certainly was a Hall of Fame player. So just a great class, Buck O'Neill, Tony Oliva, everyone, Minnie Minoso. It, it was just a great, great thing, great celebration of the sport, as was the All-Star game. So with that, you've heard all of my reflections. Let's go to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you know how to do it. You can call us 646-543-7072 or email us tabaseballshow at gmail.com. The All-Star Game, of course, last week, and we do have some follow-ups to that, and then we'll get into some trade deadline questions as well. This first one is from Ken. He says, Normally, I watch just a few innings of the All-Star Game to see the starters playing, but this year, I was fascinated to hear the mic'd players talking to each other and to a couple of knowledgeable broadcasters like Joe Davis and John Smoltz. That kept me watching through the whole game. It was awesome to hear the players talking about their play and how to get feel for their per- and, and also getting a feel for their personalities. And based on what I've been seeing on the internet, I know I'm not the only person who really loved the element of the game. It seems like it would make the real life game seem a bit more like a video game, appealing to a broader, younger audience. I'm just wondering about the possibility of this becoming a regular feature of broadcast. Would it need to go through a CBA or can players in the league just kind of figure it out on their own? Ken, great question. And I wrote about this afterward, and it was a little bit tricky for me because obviously I'm on the broadcast, part of the Fox team. And 
I'm writing about the Fox broadcast and how cool it was. That said, in this one instance, I thought it was appropriate because, frankly, the most interesting thing about the game to me was the mic'd up part. All of the mic'd up parts. Manoa and Trevino and Cortez and even Judge and Stanton. A lot of the things. But the pitcher in particular, the pitcher-catcher in particular, that was amazing. And it gave fans insight they've never had before. Now, to your question, can you do it in a regular season game? I don't believe you can. Now, we've seen and we see on a weekly basis on both Fox and ESPN, players, position players, mic'd up. And it's cool. For a half inning, it's good. And I don't know that either network has had a situation yet where a player maybe (laughs) was distracted. It hasn't happened like that. That much, I believe the networks can get away with. I don't know about the pitcher-catcher part of it, or even just the pitcher. Now, in talking with Jose Trevino after the game, I interviewed him for the article that I wrote. He said there could be more. He said guys would have to get comfortable, but yes, there could be more. I just don't see it. I don't see players being comfortable with that. Alec Manoa, yeah, in that kind of game, he can show off his personality. It's all good. I mean, he shows off his personality anyway. We saw that in Fenway over the weekend. But I just don't believe in an actual regular season game he could be talking to John Smoltz in the booth for instance so I don't know that we'll ever get to that point as far as regular season games certainly not playoff games but at the same time who knows and actually I think it was Trevino that suggested maybe you just make that a subscription for people if they want that here's a subscription they can have it well if it's another way to make money MLB will be down (laughs) The players will be down. I don't know that this would need to go through a CBA negotiation, but it's something to keep in mind for the future. Certainly for an all-star game, it was entirely appropriate. I don't want to hear any more from people who say, I just wanted to watch the game. It's a freaking all-star game. It's an exhibition. It is a celebration of the game, and it is something where a network like Fox can take a few chances and do some things differently and have it come out, hopefully, pretty cool. It was it was awesome. Uh, it was the best part of the game for sure. A game that was mostly low scoring except for the beginnings. Um, so I thought it was uh, it really stole the show. All right, one more about the or another one about the All Star game. This one from Rich and Rich likes to email us with really long thought out trade questions and all sorts of stuff. This is his thing, and I'm going to shorten it for the good of the show. Uh, Rich has thoughts on expanding All Star Week into a real week, like Saturday to Sunday the next weekend. Uh, what do you think of this, Ken? He says, uh, let's start things off with the Hall of Fame always being the weekend after the All-Star game. For his plan, you have to have that. And you have the Hall of Famers that are heading to Cooperstown the following weekend in the city of the All-Star game, like David Ortiz happened to be this year, Every year, and you get the big ovation before the game, then charter them from the ball game straight to Cooperstown, do what they have to do out there. So there's one. Have the All-Star Game host city, also host the draft as it does, and the ESPYs. So you'd have to have some sort of deal with ESPN. So you'd have the ESPYs on Wednesday night as part of the celebrity softball game. You could get more of those people involved. Open invite 
to the host team's former retired All-Stars. So you bring them all back and you figure you invite the All-Stars who played in the previous All-Star game in that city, probably in the last 30 years. You get them there. So you can have an old-timers game with those players, doubleheader with the celebrity game. All right, we're almost there. Invite (laughs) all the first-round draft choices from the previous year and also the previous year's Little League World Series winners and all the kid initiative winners and you get all those young people in the game that are hopefully on their way to Major League Baseball and you let them hang out as part of the celebrity softball game. Saturday, you bring back the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown, a real Hall of Fame game like there used to be with two actual MLB teams. And then Sunday is an induction Sunday. That's a big weekend. It would certainly rival the Super Bowl week at that point. And Rich... The amazing thing about that, what Tim just did, he abridged your email. Yeah, it was so much longer than that. concise way, yes. Now, I don't know that I can address this point by point, but there are some ideas with merit here. And the idea, the overriding idea Rich has is to celebrate the game. And there is certainly maybe a better way to do that. Not that it's bad right now. The one thing that is bad and the one thing that has to change, in my opinion, and it's not something that fans necessarily are impacted by, but certainly the people who work in the game, the front offices are, the draft has to be pushed back. And I don't know that it can be part of this week. Maybe you make it at the very start of the week, and that way you can give your GMs and your scouts and your scouting directors and all the people who work so hard on the draft a little break. People are getting no break. It is very, for lack of a better word, it's unhealthy. These guys work their butts off all year long, men and women. And you don't want to grind people to the ground. And that's what is being done here by having the draft during the All-Star break. If you want to make it the Monday before, and then, yes, bring the guys who are picked into the All-Star festivities the following weekend, have the Futures game the following weekend, okay. But my goodness, show some compassion and some feel for the people who work in your industry. MLB is not doing that by having the draft when it does. And again, I'm not speaking for myself because it doesn't affect me. I'm talking about what I've heard from GMs, front office people, anybody involved with the draft. They are worn to the ground by this. It's not right. All right, gotten off that soapbox. The idea of the Hall of Famers in the All-Star City every year, I love that. Love them being introduced. I also like the idea of maybe an old-timers game with the previous All-Stars from the host city's team. That can work. That would be cool. The ESPYs, I don't know that ESPN is going to go for having the date of its ESPYs dictated by Major League Baseball. Now, you could argue that it already kind of is because it's always that week anyway. So maybe there could be a tie-in. I don't know. Uh, Overall, I like it. No Hall of Fame game. That's not happening. You can't have a Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown anymore. The schedule is too difficult as it is. Again, there's got to be some feel. So, Rich, great ideas overall. I am for a more coherent All-Star Week. Maybe you start with the draft, and then you go to the Futures game, and then you go to the All-Star game, and you have the Hall of Fame tie-in. It's kind of a coherent logical progression drafted player to top prospect to all-star that would make some sense it's kind of the way it's being done now but again with the futures game before the draft no 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 fix it it's got to be fixed 
We almost had a draft in Omaha at the College World Series. Unfortunately, the pandemic got in the way. I thought that would have been awesome. That would have been cool. Maybe we'll get back to that. And that gives them plenty of time. It was around when it actually used to be instead of being right up against the All-Star game. We got to move things along. Uh, Dan Zerby, frequent question asker. Uh, This is kind of related to the All-Star because Albert Pujols was such a big part of the All-Star weekend. He says, hey, Ken, the Pittsburgh Pirates close out the season with three at home against St. Louis. I have intentions of making the trip from Cleveland to take in all three games, and I'm sure it's no mystery why. My question now is this. What are the chances of the Cardinals retiring players, Pujols, Molina, Carpenter, appearing in those games, or do you foresee them tipping their caps in St. Louis before making the trip and not playing again? Dan, it likely will depend somewhat on where the Cardinals are in the standings. If they've got something to play for at that time, I would imagine those guys will be part of the mix, right? Wainwright, Pujols, and Molina. They have to be. They're part of the team. They're big parts of the team. At the same time, let's say they've clinched. Now, if you remember, I don't remember where the Yankees were at this particular stage of the season, but when Derek Jeter retired, that final game when he got that dramatic hit at Yankee Stadium, the final home game, that was not the final game of the season. They went to Boston, and he played. He was honored there, and it was really cool. So I would expect, because Pittsburgh is a division opponent, and heck, it wouldn't even matter if they weren't, I would expect that regardless of what happens in St. Louis, and I am quite certain, of course, that there will be some kind of celebration for those players, assuming Wainwright is part of that group. He's not going to announce he's retiring, so I shouldn't include him. It's Molina and Pujols. He may retire, Wainwright, but he's not going to announce it at the during the season. So I would expect, yes, the Cardinals honor them in St. Louis, and yes, I would expect as well that in some fashion— They would be honored in Pittsburgh. I don't know how exactly it would transpire. Maybe it would just be a small thing. Maybe they would play an inning or two. I don't know. It depends, yes, on circumstances. Although, heck, even if they're out of contention, that's even more reason to play them in certain respects, assuming they're healthy. So I would keep those tickets. It's a great idea. And we'll see what happens with how the Cardinals plan to honor these players. Never a bad time to take in a game at PNC Park either, so keep those tickets. Um, All right, on to the trade deadline now. Chris says, I've been digging into numbers to see which position players the Mets could possibly add at the trade deadline. I looked at some seemingly obvious options, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, Trey Mancini, to find someone who could provide a bit of thump in a lineup that has lacked some power this season. One name I came across that seems like a good fit who wouldn't cost as much as those others is David Peralta. He's on an expiring contract on a team that is retooling and has some interesting stat cast numbers. He has pretty strong hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, and average exit velocity, along with an average launch angle of 17 degrees that fits the mold for a home run hitter. Is this someone who could make sense for the Mets? I would assume, Chris, that you sent this email before the trade for Daniel Vogelbach, and that trade changed things from the Mets' perspective, at least as it relates to what you're suggesting here. Vogelbach, left-handed hitter. David Peralta, left-handed hitter. Now, he's an outfielder, and Vogelbach is essentially a DH. But what the Mets probably want to do next, as far as their offense is concerned, is add a right-handed complement to Vogelbach, and maybe someone who has some pedigree to him. I'm thinking Trey Mancini, someone like that. Peralta as a left-handed hitter, probably not as good a fit. And while he does have, you're right, some good stack cast numbers, on base percentage this year, entering Sunday was 299. He had 12 homers. 
but that OBP is 40 points below his career mark. Now, maybe it's an aberration of sorts. Maybe it's some bad luck in there. I don't know. But I just don't know that he is the, the right fit for them just now. And I mentioned Mancini in part because he's an obvious fit, first base DH type. And Buck Walter had him in Baltimore, knows him well, thinks highly of him. There are many other players the Mets can look at. Mancini's certainly not the only one, Josh Bell, but I think his price will be higher. They're going to add more. And clearly, they've been aggressive so far. Vogelbach, then the catching depth that they added Saturday. So we'll see them do some things. And they could use a lefty reliever on top of that. But I don't see Peralta being the guy. Next one's from Matthew. With many teams needing power bats at the trade deadline, do you see the Braves potentially dealing Marcelo Zuna before the deadline? He looks lost at the plate, and with Duval Rosario being viable left field options and Contreras DHing on days he isn't behind the plate, Ozuna seems like dead weight at the moment. What kind of return could the Braves get if they were willing to eat some of the contract? This, this question, Ken, complicated by Duval's status. Yes, Duval is going to have season-ending surgery for a torn tendon sheath in his left wrist. That's obviously bad news for the Braves. He's a streaky guy, but he's a good player for them, has been obviously part of their World Series championship club, and someone that is painful to lose, frankly. Now, Azuna is an interesting case. So not only is he underperforming this year, he signed for two more years at $18 million per season, then he has a club option for 25. So really, he's owed 37 million, including a buyout. I don't know how you can trade him, even if you eat some of the money and expect anything in return. If you want to trade him and bump him off your roster, okay. But probably the wiser move now is to keep him. Clearly, with Duvall being out, you'd hope for some sort of resurgence. There have been flashes this season from Azuna, but not enough, quite obviously. I just don't see them bumping him off the roster. Could they designate him for assignment and eat $37 million plus, including the remainder for this year, his salary? I guess they could. Wouldn't be a very Braves-like thing to do, and most teams wouldn't entertain such a thing. So they'll figure it out, how they're going to use him, and probably stick with him to some degree as they try to get him going, but I just don't see them getting rid of him, especially now with Duval being out. Even if he was there, I wouldn't see that. All right, we get these big contracts, obviously, all the time in baseball, including the pending Juan Soto deal that's going to come at some point. That's the next question uh, via voicemail. Hi, this is uh, Bill Brahms from Upper Gwinnett, Pennsylvania. It just occurs to me when a team like the Nationals or whoever would sign Juan Soto offers him could be a half a billion dollars uh, how do they ensure that? Do they ensure that? And what would the range of the cost of doing that, and how would it even work? Uh, look forward to hearing your answer, Ken. Thanks. Bill, I wish I had a complete answer. All I know in this regard is that certain teams insure contracts that are long-term, and certain teams don't. I don't know if the Nationals, the team that offered Soto that contract, are one of the teams that insures, and I don't know what it costs. But you raise a very relevant point because insurance can come into play. The David Wright contract comes to mind. The Mets used to insure, and I would imagine they still do, even under Steve Cohen, or especially under Steve Cohen, perhaps. But I don't know from a blanket standpoint that I could say what it costs. Actually, I do know. I can't say that. I don't know what it costs. Or which teams insure. 
I just know that some do and some don't. And it's quite relevant because you want insurance, I would think, on a contract of that magnitude. All right, next question is from Daniel. He says, I've got an outside-the-box idea regarding prospect development and would love to know what you think. The minor leagues aren't the best environment for players to develop their skills. The late nights spent traveling means you don't get optimal rest. They don't have access to ideal strength and conditioning facilities, and they only see 15 to 20 pitches a night or throw their weaker pitches a limited number of times based on game situations. Because position players need to develop their pitch recognition and pitching prospects need to work on their stuff, why doesn't a team sign former major leaguers to throw and hit against their best prospects in a sim game camp for a large chunk of the season and play in fewer minor league games? They'd be a better training environment and working on the skills most important to reaching the majors, but against higher level competition. Daniel, I'm not going to pick on you. Your question is valid, but I have strong feelings about this and the feelings are negative. And I'll tell you why. And again, it has nothing to do with you. It's just the whole idea here. One of the problems in the game today is that players focus too much on individual skills and not enough on playing the game. And when I say playing the game, I mean defense, base running, subtle skills. I would even include bunting. Everybody's got launch angle. Everybody's got velo. That's what the game's about right now. Power. And the only way to learn how to play the game is to, guess what? Play the game. Play actual games. Now, the points you raise about the minor leagues are valid. It is a difficult lifestyle, and hopefully it's going to improve and keep improving. We've seen some progress in that regard of late. But I don't like the idea of sim games at all. Because basically, that is what is going on right now with the training of young players going down to elementary school level. It's how do you hit? How do you throw as hard as you can? And there's a lot more to the game than that. Those are essential skills, of course, for a pitcher or for a hitter. But this is a sport that requires great attention and great detail and great skill in any number of ways. And too often that is being lost. And if you start focusing even more on the individual skills, you've got no chance of seeing the game played properly And that's what needs to change. One of the many things that needs to change in the coming years. I'll add one other thing, and that is that for the good of baseball as a game that young people can experience and go to the ballpark, you need the minors. It's bad enough. They've already cut back the minor leagues and and how many teams there are. But not everybody can get to a major league ballpark. Not everyone can afford to get to a major league ballpark or live near one. But there's a minor league ballpark still just about everywhere that someone can drive to. And you need actually good players in those games. So that's one more thing I would say. That's not about player development, but I think, Ken, it is about the health of the sport of baseball as a whole. So Tim, well said, and it's a great point. All right, one more. It's from Andrew. This is this one's a little wild. With climate change becoming a bigger issue each year, do you see stadiums, designs in the future adjusting to make the environment more comfortable for fans? For example, do you see more teams with building retractable roof stadiums? Do you think current ballparks could be retrofitted with climate change-friendly features? I love the question. And it's something that makes you think. I don't know about retrofitting. And I'm not even sure about the future, whether this would be considered. Should it be considered? I would say based on what we know about climate change. And yes, I 
think I'm safe in saying both parties now acknowledge it's an issue. They might have different ways that they want to attack the issue, but it's not some fictitious thing. Based on what we know, yeah, it's something to consider for the future. Now, let's say there's expansion or relocation to Las Vegas, Nashville, just naming a few cities here. I would expect that a retractable roof ballpark in places like that in particular would be serious considerations. The problem with retractable roof ballparks is that they're so much more expensive than open air. I don't know exactly how it works from the construction standpoint, but I do know that teams just don't do it for that reason. You can make a strong argument that in New York, this would never have happened, but they should have built one stadium with a retractable roof, had both teams play there, and you could have had concerts, you could have had NCAA finals. It would have been a very economically feasible thing and wise thing to do. Now, of course, the Yankees have their history. The Mets have a history too, not as maybe storied as the Yankees, but both teams wanted their own parks. I get it. But I do think that in the future, retractable roof ballparks should be definitely given heavy consideration. And yeah, global warming is part of that. I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago for the NBA Summer League. I can't believe <laughs> that there was a AAA team there. It was 110 four days in a row, Ken. I mean, forget the retractable roof. Just put a roof on it, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> right. it's just too it's just too hot there uh, for baseball outdoors. But, you know, we'll see. Feels like eventually there'll be a team there. All right, that's going to do it for uh, this edition of the show. If you want to get involved in the future, 646-543-7072 is the number, or email us, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Big week, as always, coming up uh, this week. Of course, Tuesday, it is Starkville. Wednesday will be the Roundtable Show. Thursday, the 3-0 Show with DVR, Eno, and Britt. And Friday, DVR is back with Keith Law. Uh, check out the draft recap with DVR and Keith last week. That's a good one uh, to get you caught up on the draft. That's going to do it. If you want to read all the great stuff going on at The Athletic, including Jason Stark's great story about Tim Kirk, Jim, we talked about the two of those guys at the beginning. Great story. Theathletic.com slash baseball show. Uh, Ken, I know, crazy week leading up to the trade deadline. Are you covering games next weekend as well? Funny you should ask that, Tim. So when our schedule came out for July... I saw July 30th was St. Louis at Washington. And I said, man, what the heck are we doing broadcasting a Nationals game? It's one of three or four that weekend. We hit Baseball Night in America on Fox and it's regionalized coverage. But I was just thinking, why are we doing that game? Now it turns <laughs> out that Washington is going to be perhaps the epicenter of this whole thing, the whole shebang. So I'm happy we're going to be there. And yes, that's where I'll be. Washington, D.C. next Saturday night. So no Juan Soto trade till at least Saturday. That's what we're asking for. So, so you're, well, I don't know about so. that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's going to be a fun week. Uh, keep locked on with Ken on Twitter for all the news with the trade deadline. Uh, and, of course, with everybody at The Athletic. And we'll talk to you all next week on this show, which will be the day before the trade deadline. Talk to everybody.